0: Let's uh, bow our heads as we ask God to touch us for this message. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the commitment of these people, Lord. I thank you that you allow them to come out, even when there's so many issues in this world that would keep us from here, Lord. But we know that you'll protect us. We have that confidence. And so I ask you, Lord, to bless this church, bless these people, strengthen these people. And now, Lord, I ask you that this message be your words, that you wrote it, Father, And that when we hear it, even though it seems to come from a man, we know that it comes through the Holy Spirit. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The message that uh, I have for you today comes out of the writings of St. Paul. Uh, And the title of the message is The Importance of Doing Good Works. Doing good works. The theological importance of doing good works. Understanding uh, the precepts that God has set forth from us in terms of understanding what he expects from us when we do good works. Uh, And this this is such an important message that I'm going to do it over two weeks. The first week, I'm going to uh, confine myself to relying on Romans uh, as as the foundational verses, Romans. And Paul wrote that uh, in 57 AD, 57 AD. He wrote it even before he visited Rome. Uh, And he was imprisoned in Rome, as you know. Uh, But that was 57 AD. And then I'm going to speak next week on Ephesians, uh, which he wrote four years later. Uh, And you'll see a little different perspective still through the Holy Spirit, uh, understanding the importance of good works. And so this becomes uh, a key part of our Christian foundation. What does God expect from us? How are we to do good works? And what are these works about? Uh, and and what does God say, and what does the Scripture say? Because this is all about the Scripture. It's not my opinion, but it's about the Scripture. And so as we study this, the the main verses that I'm going to ask you to look at, which will be on the screen are Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. And they read as follows. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good... Seek glory, honor and immortality. He will, he, immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Amen. And so we see in these verses that there are two very different paths as God sees our work, all right? There's the work that he sees of good, of good works that are done for him, the hands and feet of God, and God blesses and lifts up and affirms and gives honor uh, and immortality. Uh, to those of us who are walking in his, in his way. And, and so that's the key motivation for doing that. We do it because we're sold out to Jesus Christ. And so we're called to do these good works. Uh, but the other path is evil. The other path is evil. And so understanding this, understanding how God looks at at our lives, uh, it becomes profound as we see the way God looks. God looks at the works As they flow out of salvation, as they flow out of salvation. And so here's the point when you are saved, when you are becoming a child of God, uh, you naturally will be called to do good works. It is those works which lift up the name of Jesus Christ, which lift up God. And we need to understand that. Without salvation, we are doing good works that are not good as God sees it. And this is an important thing to understand because I know it's hard for people to say, well, I don't understand it. You mean that, that people that do good who are not Christians, that God doesn't see that as good works? Because the nature of the kind of works that we do as human beings without the Spirit of God is effectively human, human secularism. That's what it is. It's the elevation of the human being. It's the elevation of self and you know that, because all you have to do is go anywhere in Naples, and you'll see all kinds of buildings with people's names on it, okay? You understand? And I'm not putting that down. Don't, under, don't misunderstand me, but I'm telling you how God looks at, at the kingdom of God. God looks at works being done for his glory, not our glory, his glory, and that's how we live our lives as Christians. So I'm going to really delve deep into this that you see, it. and so here we see it in this passage. That, that the motivation, as indicated in Romans, uh, that God uses is glory, honor, and immortality. Now, glory, honor, and immortality, what does that mean? Well, glory here refers to the transformation uh, of the individual uh, through Jesus Christ, that we are glorified because we are children of God, we are doing the work of God, and what happens is that God himself is glorified, and he then glorifies us. Uh, it becomes a very profound uh, work of God as we see this. And so this becomes important to understand. Um, and and the, the, the point that I want to make here is that there is no good works that are done by ourselves without the motivation of God. The only good works you do is because the Holy Spirit has inspired you and called you and allowed you to do that. There's a passage that I put on the board there of Romans 4, verse 2, which says, "If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God." How about that? There he is, the very patriarch of Judaism. Uh, if he had good works that he could boast about, well, he could boast, but he couldn't boast before God. You understand? And so our works are looked at as if they were filthy rags before God. It's only when we bow before the throne of God, and we say, Lord, use me, direct me, tell me where you want me to go, tell me who you want me to speak, lift me up, Lord, so that I can glorify you, not glorify myself, then all the works that you do will, in fact, glorify God, Uh, and there will be a reward for you when you get to heaven, Uh, and this is what this is about, and we do it not for the reward, we do it because we love the Lord, and that's what we do. So when we walk in the way, I want you to understand this, works are a key part of the salvation process. Works. If you don't have good works in your life, then I have to question whether you're saved, really, uh, because salvation automatically leads to good works. Now look at some of the verses here that speak to this issue that I think are profound. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. No, we declare God's wisdom... A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. A mystery that God intended before time began. What is that mystery? The mystery was that Jesus Christ would be your Lord and Savior. That Jesus Christ would be the very reason why you exist. That Jesus Christ would save you. And that everything we do is about lifting up Jesus Christ. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 to 18, and this becomes a key foundational verse in this sermon today. This is a very much misunderstood set of verses, and I want to drill down on it because it's important. Because these verses speak effectively to the time that you get to heaven. Speak to the time when you will stand before Jesus Christ, and he will review your life. He will review not the nature of whether you sinned or not, because you're saved. You're never going to have to answer for your sins when you get to heaven because you're saved. But this effectively becomes what theologians call the Bemis seat. When you sit before Christ and Christ reviews your life for the purpose of seeing how you advance the cause of God, how you advance the kingdom of God. What did you do in terms of using good works? to advance the kingdom of God. So now with that foundational precept, look at these verses. If anyone builds on this foundation, and this foundation is Jesus Christ, on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be with, revealed with fire, and the fire will test. The quality of each person's work, and let me stop and, and drill down on what that means. the fire is the word of God, the inspired word of God as your, as your life's work is being reviewed and look at the kind of work that Paul is referring here. Some of the work is gold, some of the work is silver, some of the work is costly stones. these are incredible works for the kingdom of God that will last forever that you did for the kingdom of God, and those works will last forever. And you will be honored, and you'll be lifted up and given responsibility in heaven because of those works. But, 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 some works are wood, some works are hay, some works are straw. And you might say to me, well, wait a minute, John, I mean, I thought you said these are all Christians. Yes. These are Christians. These are people that have accepted Christ. But some of the work that that we do becomes self-serving, that we don't bow before the kingdom of God. Even as we walk with God, we can get uh, self-centered and not really lifting up God, but find ourselves, frankly, lifting ourselves up instead. And those works look like wood, hay, and stone. And so what happens on the day that the fire is released meaning the word of God. Jesus looks there and reviews your work. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. And so what happens next? What happens next? And this is important. Uh, If what has been built survives, and I just told you that gold, silver, and costly gems will survive, the builder will receive a reward. There it is. There's the promise. People ask me about this. Uh, Show me where the reward is. Here's the reward. God will reward those efforts. You're in heaven. What will be the nature of that reward? We don't know. But we believe it will be a position of responsibility in the governance of God. All I know is that this is a vast universe, that God has created it, and I have no idea how he will use us to in some way govern disparate areas of the universe, but I believe that he will. I believe that he will. And so that's the nature of the reward. Uh, People say to me, well, will I get a better house down by the ocean? All right? Uh, I can't promise you that. I can't promise you this. But all I can promise you is this, that whatever it is, it'll be far greater than your mind could ever grasp. Far greater than your mind could ever ask. It will make anything on this earth pale by comparison. And then it goes on and says, after the reward, if it is burned up, and we talk about that wood, straw, those kind of things that are, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. You understand what he says? You're gonna be saved anyway. You're getting to heaven. You wanna understand this? You're not gonna lose your salvation. Don't let anybody tell you you're gonna lose your salvation, but the reward that you would have had is going to be eclipsed. Because the work that you did was not fully in line with the will of God. That's why I'm preaching this this message today. Because I want to be able to make sure that you're aware of what it's needed in order to serve God. It means we walk with God, we serve God with our hands and feet, and we put our face in the dust. I'm not interested in lifting myself up. I'm not interested in promoting my name. I'm not interested in marketing myself. I'm interested in him only in him only and that's the nature of what god wants for us and then continuing on in the in that same passage don't you know paul says that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in your midst if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy that person for god's temple is sacred and you together are that temple do not deceive yourselves If any of you think that you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. What does he mean in these last verses? This is a warning about false teachers, about people that will come in and corrupt the church, about people that will come in and try to wreck the saints' lives, about people that will come in and organize religion and try to ruin people and and affect their faith. That's the warning there that he's saying that you as saved Christians, you as saints walking with the kingdom of God, that God has you and looks at you as holy and wants to preserve you and protect you in every possible way. And so this becomes important to understand what God is talking about. And so here's the thing that God promises us. God promises us uh, four things as we read in those verses in Romans. He promises us eternal life, glory, honor, and peace. Now, now, eternal life effectively is salvation, all right? That's the promise of God, life in heaven with God. And glory and honor are two of the things that come out of that relationship. What does it mean? It means this, that as we walk with Christ, that we, that we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, that our bodies become hands and feet of Jesus Christ, God will glorify those works. And the glory of God himself will reflect back on you even though you won't do a thing to elevate yourself, but God will do it uh, in the most incredible way. And then he says there, he he refers to peace, peace. You'll have peace. Not only will you have peace here in this world, right? You'll have peace on the other side when you get to the other side. And so here's the thing. Here is the thing that I want you to understand, and this is the big issue. Has anyone chosen this path by his or her own will? and walked along it by his own strength. Never, never. No one has done it. No person in this world has ever done that, has ever been able to walk uh, with, with, with God without the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ lifting you up and salvation pouring into you and the Holy Spirit sealing you. It's only when God gives you the faith to recognize you're lost and you need a Savior that you lift your hand up out of the muck and mire of your life, and you say, Lord, I need help. And when you say those words, the Holy Spirit descends on you, and it seals you forever, and you are put forever in the hand of God because that's a salvation that's not not lip salvation. It's not head salvation. It's heart salvation. And when that comes, then we become sold out to Christ in every possible way. And that's exactly what it's about. Uh, and so this becomes important to understand this, uh, this, this this passage. And so we really come to understand that God really has set us apart for incredible work. And so uh, as you see this here, uh, I want to look for this one passage that I can't seem to find right now. But it's Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Uh, And in that passage, it says as follows, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one, not even one. That's the nature of the human species. And so when you hear people say, well, you Christians, You're a bunch of hypocrites, all right? You're so discriminating. Uh, You believe that there's only one way to God. When we believe that we, through our own human philosophies, can find our way to God. Really? Is that what that verse says, that you can find your way to God? I think not. I think not. When God has told us that not one person has ever on their own found, found God and lives a good life, no, we understand that that that's not the way it is, and so we we see this, and so the other path, the other path is the one that all persons take naturally, apart from the intervention of God. If God doesn't intervene in your life, you're going to go on the other path, and what will the other path be? It will be your own human philosophies. You will walk as you think uh, as a moral path, and you will think that that's what God wants, because you have effectively become your own God, You understand? You'll become your own God instead of seeing what the God of the universe has said. Uh, And so effectively, what does it mean? It means that all these other individuals as they walk doing their own thing, even if they think they're doing good, God repudiates the good because the good is done in in the name of human secularism. It's done in the name of humanity, and humanity is lost humanity is sinful. It is only when we elevate, elevate our walk, elevate with God, uh, that God sees, sees us and blesses the work that we do. And so the other path is self-seeking. Uh, and, and if you look, if you see uh, Matthew 22, uh, verses 37 and 39, it's very clear, very clear there what Jesus says about that. Jesus says that, there's a, that all of the Bible can be distilled into two verses, And that is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no self-seeking with God. It's not about you elevating yourself or you having a self-interest about what you do. It's about you putting your face in the dust and humbly asking God to intervene in your life. Because here's the thing. When we don't do that, effectively everything that we do, when we're not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, winds up being looked at by God as evil. You are in open, notorious rebellion to God, even though you think you're not, even though you think you may be doing good works, even though you may be involved in some work that seems to elevate mankind. But the question is this, if it doesn't elevate God, if it doesn't seek the glory of God, who has created you and saved you, then as far as God's concerned, it's for naught. Uh, And and this becomes an important understanding because you see Satan. You see how Satan was when Satan said in Isaiah, uh, uh, it was a very Satan, it says, where he says there in Isaiah 14, I will make myself like the most high. I will lift myself up. I will lift up myself to the clouds. I will be like God. You see, that's what Satan is. The nature of self-centeredness. You understand? And that effectively is the nature of what humanity is. Humanity is self-centered, even in the good works that they do. That's why God says, I look at their good works, and as far as I'm concerned, it's like dirty rags. And so you say, God, I don't understand it. They seem like good people. But God says, you don't see the heart. You don't see the heart. The question is the heart. The question is the motivation. Is it about you? Is it about you seeking praise? Is it about you elevating yourself so people will say, Oh, you're good. You're good. You're a good man. You're a good man. Or is it rather that everything that you do elevates yourself to God? I'm not interested in people saying I'm good. I'm not interested in saying, having people say you're holy. I'm interested in saying, Oh, wow. You serve a powerful God. You serve a holy God. That's the nature of how God wants us to live in every possible way. This is, why, this is what awaits the ungodly uh, and why those people think that they are better even than those of us who have found the gospel. Now, some of this is difficult to wrap your arms around because I know some of you are saying, well, I don't understand this. It appears as if Paul is saying that it's the good works that save us. And that there's nothing further than, than, from accuracy than that. It is not the good works that save you. No good works save you. It is only the righteousness that flows from salvation that leads to good works that glorify God, not us. Did you get that? Because I'm going to repeat it. This becomes one of the seminal issues in this sermon, understanding it. It is the righteousness that flows from salvation and leads to good works that glorify God, not us. That's the point. That is the point. And so no one is saved other than by the work of Jesus Christ and faith in him, and righteousness flows from that salvation uh, and leads to good works that glorify God. That is the nature of what God has called us to do. And so when you are saved, when you are saved, you are effectively sealed with the Holy Spirit, and then God draws you into the path of righteousness that compels you to do good works. You can't help doing good works. Every minute of your life should be you looking to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to speak to? How do I lift up people, Lord? Where do I go? What is the nature of the call on my life? And when you do it, because God has compelled you to do it, then you will be blessed in an incredible way. Uh, and there's a, a great passage in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 that speak directly to this issue about the false gospel, being so careful about what people say and do that's not in accord with the gospel. And it says there, but even if we, and this is Paul, or an angel from the heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, Let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. How powerful is that? There is only one gospel. There is only one Jesus, and we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is through the blood of Jesus Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit that you are now brought into into God's world and, and attached to the body of Christ. And now you are walking with Christ and you are doing the will of Christ and the works in your life bear out Jesus Christ. They don't lift you up, they lift him up. You understand? And so we don't seek glory from this world. We're not interested in glory from this world. We're not interested in promotion from this world. We're interested in God. And so to the extent that God allows us, we can even be anonymous as we do this work because everything that we we do has to lift up God, has to elevate God. Jesus spoke about this eloquently. He spoke about it in Matthew 5.20. And what he did, he was using the, the Pharisees as a paradigm. The Pharisees lived for good works. Now, they were doing good works because they wanted to elevate their standing. They were looking at getting elevated in the religious community. And so they would go down a parade. They would have a parade when they would bring their tithes into the temple. Can you imagine? There would be a parade and cymbals and sound and music as they would carry their tithes into the temple. Look at me. Look at me. I am so holy. I am so... This is what the Pharisees did. Yes, they gave tithes. Yes, they gave offerings. But you understand the motivation? The motivation wasn't to honor God. It was to honor self. Now, Christians don't do that. We can't do that. I just went through you with with, when you stand before the throne of God and your works will be reviewed. That's why we don't do it, because we know there will be a day when we face Jesus Christ. And he will run the videotape of our lives. And somebody asked me the other night about it. Oh, John. Will he be talking about my sins? No, no, no. He's not going to be talking about your sins because he's forgotten your sins. He's wiped it away as far as the east is from the west. But he will review what you did for Christ. He will review what you did for the kingdom of God. He will go through and see whether it is costly jewels and gold or silver or instead, it's straw and wood. And so we understand. And so he says in Matthew 5 here, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, that's a serious charge. That unless our acts of righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees, that we will not enter the kingdom of heaven? That's right, because the Pharisees tithed. They gave. They were there elevating what they were doing. But God says what they were doing was not not appropriate for the kingdom of God. And so we want to walk where God wants us to walk. We want to dedicate our lives for the way God has inspired us to dedicate our lives. We We want to do acts of gold, acts of silver, acts of costly jewels, I want every single one of you here when you leave here to think about what God is doing with you. We talked about it last week when we talked about what is the the call of God on your life to be prepared. And now I'm telling you that even as you await the call of God on your life, God expects you to walk in good works. As I told you what Gary Chapman came and said to me personally 20 years ago as I began to say that I needed to devote the rest of my life to, to ministry, and he said to me, Well, John, here's the thing. You can't steer a car unless it's moving. You can't steer a car unless it's moving. So if you can't steer a car unless it's moving, God is saying to you today, move, walk, do the good works. Every day, find a way to serve me in small ways. And each step that you take in the small ways will become a more profound walk and we'll be blessed And you will have gold and silver and fine gems in the most incredible way. And so you see this, that God has created us as a new person. None of this flows naturally. In other words, we don't come to this kind of a life naturally. We don't normally put our face in the dust. We don't normally want to be anonymous. We don't want to normally, we normally are looking to be lifted up. Come on, we all have been there. You want to be told you're smart, you're good, you're talented. I like seeing you. I want to promote you. But in the kingdom of God, we're not looking for promotion. We're looking to lift up the banner of Christ. You understand? We're looking to lift up the banner of Christ. That's the call on our lives. That's what about. And so here is the key to this message and understanding it. This is the key to this message. It is the wonder of the Christian gospel that we are at first saved by grace through faith. We are then placed on a path of righteousness. We then perform good works on that path of righteousness that glorify God. And someday, someday when you get into heaven, and you will all get into heaven because you've all accepted Jesus Christ, and you're sealed, and you will stand there before Christ, before the Bemis seat, and Christ will give you the videotape of your life. He won't be indicting you for sin because you've already been saved, but he'll review what you did for the kingdom of God. How did you honor the great commission? Who did you speak to? What did you do to elevate my name? What did you do to go out into a world that is broken and needs love? What did you do to embrace those people to let them know that you're with me? How did my love overshadow everything you did? And when you do that, I am certain that in this congregation, there will be gold, there will be silver, and there will be fine jewels as our work will be honored for him. It is because of him. Everything we do is him. It's not about us. It's never about us. It's all about him. Amen. Congregation, let's rise as we close this message. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Father, for telling us what it means to do good works. What's the importance of works as it relates to salvation, Lord? What does it mean to walk with you, and how should we walk, Lord? How are our lives supposed to glorify you and honor you, Father, so that someday when we stand before you, we'll hear those words, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant, because we walk with you, Lord, we want to pledge to you our, our responsibility today. We want to pledge our love for you, Lord. And I ask you to constrain us and lead us and inspire us as we walk out these doors to commit our lives for the rest of our lives to doing the kind of work, the kind of good works that you've called us to do that lift you up in every way to glorify you, not glorify us. Bleed with our people. Protect them this week, Lord and continue to bring them back next week as we continue to worship you. Father, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.